Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the wonderful world of wine. I'm your host, Kim Simone, with my co-host, Mark Lindsay. How are you doing today, Mark? How are you, Kim? I'm well, thank you. Enjoying this nice summer weather. We, every week, join you to talk about trends in the wine industry, tips that we have picked up over our years in the business, and bring those interesting things to you. And we like to start with, what did we Google this week? So, Mark, tell me what interesting wine topics you went in search of this week. Well, Kim, being a townie, a Franklin townie, a lot of people can appreciate this who live in Franklin. For years, there's been a thing going around called the Franklin Wine Cooler. And I know we've touched base about this in the past, your family not being from Franklin, but we've talked about the relationship between the Franklin Wine Cooler and a, and a national drink craze. And I wanted to see if I Googled that term, what came up? Actually, Google Franklin, Franklin Wine, wine cooler. cooler. And it does come up with a definition saying it's a cheap red wine. Wine, uh, worst case, cheap version, right? <laughs> With orange soda. So it actually is, and it says originated in Franklin, Mass, using Carlo Rossi Burgundy with orange soda. Now, where did you find that? Does it have a Wikipedia page? It has an urban directory directory. Ooh, that's page. even better. Yeah. Wow, so, very cool. So you can Google it, and it does come up, so it is a thing. And actually, I posted a social media post on the town site and brought back a lot of memories for people. So. Yeah. Well, it wasn't just Franklin because my mother remembers when she was a young child in the 1950s and they were all growing up in an Italian household that uh, they did the exact same thing. That was what their Italian parents and grandparents did to get them to have an introduction to wine. They would give them a little bit of red wine and they would put orange soda in it. And uh, what do you know? My family absolutely loves orange soda. So maybe that has something to do with it. They follow the Franklin trend. It, what about maybe you, it's a Franklin trend. What did you Google this week? So I googled a number of those tech sheets that we talk about an awful lot on this show. So uh, for people who don't know, um, a tech sheet is a technical, usually PDF, that a winery will put out that has more advanced information about a wine. So it'll tell you like harvest dates, it'll tell you how much oak a wine received, winemaking notes, sort of the real nitty gritty about the making of the wine, usually tasting notes, things along those lines. And I have I haven't talked about it on the show yet, but I have a new position professionally. I'm the new corporate sommelier for the Legal Seafoods restaurants. So we are in the midst of a menu change, big menu, big wine list big, change for the summer. That's a big news break. Yeah, that is a big news break. We're going to release that to the listeners. Now, you <laughs> broke it before me. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. So yeah, newsflash, I am now the corporate sommelier at Legals. So as we change our wine lists, we like to have the most up-to-date information to give to the guests when they ask, ask about a certain wine. So it's my responsibility to make sure that all that stuff is up-to-date. So I was Googling a lot of tech sheets for California wines and French wines and Italian wines and anything that you can think of. So that was my Google. That's great. I mean, it's so important for the listeners to know when they go to a restaurant that people like yourself are, are researching the wines that are on the list to make sure it's current information or if they ask about a wine, mm -hmm. you know the story behind it. Right. And so, it's it's a restaurant that puts a lot of, you know, a lot of emphasis on education for its bartenders, its server staff. And I'm that person to make sure that 
it's all happening. And now you know Kim's new job. So you know if you my see new her, job. give her congrats. <laughs> when you see Thank you. So in this week's episode of The Wonderful World of Wine, we wanted to make it uh, a bit of a summer theme and talk about sangria. Uh, We love wine cocktails. I personally really love wine cocktails and especially sangria. I've got a couple of different recipes for ones that I make not only through the summer, but they can be used throughout the year too with a little bit of tweaking. So we wanted to talk all about sangria, how it's different from other wine cocktails and how you can make a delicious one at home. Yeah, Kim. So let's talk with our listeners. Our takes on sangria. And the first thing I was thinking of that we always talk about Googling things was what is sangria? So you just type in, you know, what is sangria? It just says a traditional punch with red wine and chopped fruit juice or brandy. So it leads to a very vague or very mm-hmm. huge definition, right, of what this can be. Flexi- what you, I'm going to say flexible. Take? I'm going to say that's a very flexible definition yeah, of what sangria yeah. can be. In the way people come in when they're making it, everybody says different. Right. Different versions and mm-hmm. what they define as sangria versus wine cooler, which is wh- where I want to go next. What what do you think is the difference between a wine cooler and sangria? Or does, is it the same? Does a wine cooler have real juice in it? Well, that's what... I don't that think what you so. Think uh, that would, I would be thinking of something that is made from wine, but maybe with artificial fruit flavors uh, to give it that juiciness, added sugar to give it some sweetness, but not necessarily like a punch. Like when I think of sangria i think of like a wine punch well, with the with the color and all that let's go back to i'm a lot older than you the listeners can't <laughs> see that but let's go back to your I first remember experience wine with wine coolers right yes. so way way back they had these things wine coolers bottles and james seagrams they had a i don't you probably don't remember this either but there was one called country quencher or country something it was in I'm a not, two liter bottle i'm not that young Mark. Well, <laughs> the base of this wine of this cooler they called it was wine right so it was wine with some sort of juice or flavorings so the definition of a wine cooler back then was basically sangria and convenient sizes and different flavors but now if you buy a traditional wine cooler on the shelf the base of it is a malt base so it's really no longer a wine cooler right that you can't really go to a store and buy a quote-unquote wine cooler like that Bartles and James wine cooler that my mom used to drink by the pool in the 19 80s, right? Well, it's still bottles and jeans, but people don't but know that if you read it, it says, right, it says malt-based beverage. So a big reason for that change was they get the same flavor using malt-based because of the flavoring they're adding, but they pay less tax malt is taxed less than wine. Mm-hmm. So someone had the bright idea, let's change the base to save on tax money, charge the same price, and now you're getting beer-flavored wine coolers. So mm-hmm. the, to me, that's was the difference between, now it's the difference between a wine cooler and sangria. So a good way to think about those malt, malt-based beverages is like, think of flavored Zima, like a fruit-flavored right. Zima would be a a malt-based wine cooler. Malt. So Schmirnoff, malt beverages, uh, Mike's is a malt Like those beverage. lemonades and all yeah. those things. Yeah. yeah. So you were saying, and you worked retail, what was your first experience with sangria? In- so there definitely are pre-made sangrias on the market, and that's probably the first time that I remember seeing like a ready-made sangria product was when I started working retail. Do you remember what it was? Um, 
It was sort of an opaque bottle. Yago, maybe? Yago. All right. We're on the same page oh, for good. first experience. Excellent. Yeah. Yago sangria. Yeah. And it came was... in a couple of different sizes, you know, and it was, um, I remember from tasting some of those that they had a very distinctly orange flavor to them. So kind of like your uh, red wine and orange soda. Like it always sort of reminded me of that. Yeah. Fruity. Fruity. Fruity, fruity, fruity. wine. Very orange and it, peel. And it has a nice fruity package, and bright sweet. package. Yeah. I mean, that was the exact wine I was thinking of oh. too, that <laughs> first experience you used to see on the shelves and everything. Everyone, I think, was brought up with learning that is sangria. Now it's really not as popular as it used to be. Now those are wine-based, correct? They are They are wine-based, and that's where I want to go next, Kim. Thank oh. you very much, because when you look at sangria, it's a wine that says just sangria. A lot of times it'll say product of Spain, but have you ever really figured it out what is in there like what is in these sangrias you can't it says it's from spain it says spanish red wine most of the time it says juice is added or certain juices but you cannot figure out what the grape is do you Mm -hmm. think people care about the grape that's in a sangria wine or there's major differences in the grapes i don't i think that when people are looking for a product like that they know that it's you know a almost like a cocktail mix and that the grape variety that goes into that is less important than the final taste they're looking for out of it. And, and being we're both uh, still studying our Spanish wine, do you think there's a certain region it's coming from or... When they say product of Spain, you think they're just sourcing certain juice from you know, everywhere I'm thinking, for volume? I'm thinking probably, you know, the regions that do a lot of the bulk wine production for reds like La Mancha, you know, some of those areas that are flat and hot and just produce a lot of bulk grape um, because they're probably trying to make something as inexpensive as they can. So going with one of those bulk uh, wines is probably what they're doing. And do you, do you remember what the alcohol percent was on Yago? I think it was a little on the lower side, Low, like yeah. nine-ish, ten-ish maybe so not as high as say a glass of Cabernet or a glass of Pinot Noir even and a lot of that comes from the fact that there is other stuff added to this so you've got juice you've got sugar but then there's usually at least for my homemade one brandy added to it as well so that can kind of change up the uh, the alcohol level of it I think that's the big difference when you look at all the sangrias on the shelf you have to look at well, there's different sizes, number one, but they're all different alcohol percentages. Mm. And they range from 6% to 13%. And then they range from the juice, how much percent of juice is added or what type of juice is added. So that really adds to the flavor of what you're getting. But and can you tell that from the label? Do you, they put that on there? They, they'll they say juice. And some of them now are saying, you know, pineapple juice. Mm. And but do they ju- say like 6% percentage. juice? Yeah, some they say do. like 30. Okay. It's low. It's like 20, 30%. Mm-hmm. Some, but it doesn't say a lot of times what is in that juice Mm -hmm. but alcohol is key especially when we start talking about the different versions of how to make it if you want to start high and you add you're getting higher if you want to start low and add you you'll be safe right i mean Mm -hmm. you have to be careful so that uh, alcohol is key You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, please go to her website at vinitaswineworks.com. If you'd like to get more information about myself, please go to franklinliquors.com. If you'd like to follow our show, you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And if you'd like to listen to past episodes, you can find us on iTunes and SoundCloud. So we're talking today about a sangria, and Kim and I like to... 
give our takes on all things sangria with you. And it's that time of year where everyone is dabbling with different versions of it. We talked about what is sangria, what is a wine cooler, our first experiences with sangria. Now we want to get into different versions or recipes. And Kim, let's start with the red sangria versions. And what are your keys in red sangria? So I often get asked by people, what kind of wine should I use for sangria? This is a very, very common question. And my answer tends to be similar to the what kind of wine should I cook with question and answer. So for sangria, what you want is fruity flavors to shine through without a whole lot of oaky flavors. So you want just sort of fresh primary fruit, younger wines. You don't want to use your good aged stuff. Maybe, you know, you've got a bottle of something downstairs that's got a little bit of age on it. You probably don't want to use that. You know, you want to use something young, something fresh. And again, like I said, something without a lot of oak. So I would advise people to stay away from Cabernet Sauvignon and stay away from anything too expensive. So we are really not looking to spend any more than $12 a bottle on a bottle of wine to use for sangria. And you can go significantly less than that as well. Sometimes wines from places other than California are a better bet than California because even the less expensive reds from California will have a bit of oak flavoring added to them. So I would say stay away from California wines. If you wanted to do a lighter sangria, you could do a Pinot Noir. That's kind of where I break the California rule. But I often will go to Sangria's homeland of Spain and get an inexpensive red wine from Spain to use as my sangria base. So there are a couple of brands that I will often use. Sangre de Toro is kind of my go-to, but then there are a number of reds from the Rioja region or some of the less lesser known regions. Anything that says Tinto on the label will be a good bet. I love that you started with the wine first. And, it's and the, the most important same, component. Right, well, yeah, that's our whole show. <laughs> and the base of this sangria is all about the wine. And I do not understand, Kim, and you hit it right on the head when you say no oak. Why a lot of the recipes out there ask for wines that are oaked like Rioja. So you were talking about traditional Spanish wines. Rioja is the most popular traditional Spanish wine. And it's also the most oaked version 99% of the time. Unless they're recommending people to buy very inexpensive Rioja which, which is don't have still, a lot of yeah, oak. very minimal or no or oak. older oak. But they don't, people don't stress that, that mm-hmm. the no oak version of Rioja, yeah. right? So no oak, to me, also I think tannins, like Cabernet, stay away from the high tannic stuff. You, it's all about the fruit. It's not about the bitterness of the wine. It's about the fruit of the wine. Don't use Bordeaux, even if it's less expensive. <laughs> Too, too much tannins, too right? Much tannins. Too much tannins. And then you mentioned uh, traditional Spanish Tempranillo, I think, is great. You could find Tempranillos that are, are cheaper sometimes than traditional sangrias that are pre-made sangrias, mm-hmm. right? So excellent point about the, the wine. And these recipes online, I don't understand a lot of times. You know, I had someone come to me saying they wanted a Shiraz for their sangria because a restaurant was using a Shiraz. And I'm like, to me, that's well, that's unique. But the, well, their version of Shiraz... Really fruity, so... Yeah, but I wish they would have told them what brand they're using because mm-hmm. they could have got a really spicy or really bold yep. Shiraz. So, you know, you have to be careful when you read things or hear things about recipes. Ask them specifically the brand or the style so you're on the same page or on the same page with us. Right, Tim? <laughs> right, because you can't believe everything on the internet. <laughs> so we talk about the wine on Red Sangria. We're making Red Sangria. The next key, fruit, right, Kim? So what do you feel? Here's where we always kind of battle. On. I don't think the fruit is the next one 
that you choose. Honestly. Really? You're going right yeah. to booze? The, right, um, the extra ingredients? I, I, this is a toss up for me for number two. What's more important, the juice or the booze? So you're saying added fruit juice instead of fruit? I do both. Oh. So for See, mine, I wasn't even thinking. I'm always yes. thinking fruit, solid fruit. Mm, I do, well, I do the fruit more as like a garnish, but I always will add a fruit juice. And depending on what flavors I want to play up in the sangria, I will change up the fruit juice. So my primary one that I use, that's the recipe is for for it is on my website, uses pomegranate juice. So I do red wine, pomegranate juice, brandy, and then an orange liqueur like triple sec or Cointreau or one of those. So the flavor in there comes across as the pomegranate and the orange. And those are the two fruity flavors that I like to highlight in my sangria. Would you ever put pomegranate fruit in it i might yeah. throw some pomegranate arrows in there that might be fun but lately i've been changing up and using cranberry juice for my white wine sangria which we'll get to in a few minutes um i do completely different fruit juices there's one that i did once that did orange juice which changed the color a little bit because you know oj is a little bit different from from the uh the red juices but you really can have fun you know pick your favorite flavors if you like cranberry go with cranberry if you want to do one of those fun funky you know pomegranate blueberry do something like that. Well, and, I'm glad we're on the same page it, about make it unique. enhancing the fruit that you, you want to highlight, yes. right? So yep. we're on the same page with that. So tell me about you use a juice. Are you looking at sweetened versions, unsweetened versions? Because a lot of times there's, there's yeah. sugar versions and non It'll It'll depend. If I use a sweeter juice, then I might cut back on the amount of added sugar that I add to it as well, because I do add a little bit of sugar to my sangria as well. So does that juice and that fruit uh, change what style of wine you're using? A more dry versus a more sweet Not really. red wine? No, Always the I, same, never, I never do much. a sweet wine. Okay. I don't ever use a sweet red wine for, for my sangrias, unless I have you know a half-open bottle of something that's gone not gone bad, but isn't necessarily tasting at its peak, and I don't want to waste it. And then, you know, that might find its way into the sangria as well. So you put the wine, you put juice, you put fruit, mm-hmm. right? What's the key? Are you serving it right away or are you chilling or for a few hours in the fridge or are you putting ice? Ice, I no ice. I am chilling. So I will do the wine, the liquor, the juice, the sugar, and then I'll usually add a hit of lemon juice to sort of balance out the acidity. I'm giving away all my secrets today. This yeah, is crazy. Scene. I hope the listeners appreciate yeah, this. Yeah, take, the, take this out. down. Yeah, and a little, a little bit of lemon juice, like from a half a lemon or a full lemon. And then I taste it. You know, you want to make sure that the balance is good. So it can't be too sweet or too tart. You just have to have all those flavors in balance. And if it tastes too boozy, if, it, if you really feel like you're drinking a cocktail and not necessarily a punch, then you might need to add a little more juice to it because you might have gone a little overboard with your brandy. So before we get to the the boozy liquor pot, what volume you you typically make? Like a 750 milliliter bottle of wine, a 1.5 liter, a whole box of wine? (laughs) What do you suggest for volume? My recipe uses two bottles of wine. And it's so very easy ounces. to scale up. Yes. 50 ounces yep, of 50 wine. 50 ounces of wine. And then, you know, you, you add your other stuff to it as well. All right. So now you talked about the booze component and the liquor component. Many, many people add liquor mm-hmm. to flavor their sangria. And once again, this gets back to if you're using a base wine that's low alcohol, you can kind of go to town to raise it up a little bit with, with something. If it's high, you have to be careful. If you're starting with a high percentage of alcohol, 
alcohol, you have to be careful how much more alcohol you're adding. So what would you think or tell us and our listeners what are the most typical liquors added to red wine sangria? So brandy is the classic addition. uh, And this even showed up in the definition that you found online for what is sangria. So absolutely needs brandy. And brandy is a grape-based spirit. So it kind of makes sense that brandy is the spirit of choice because the flavors of brandy are sort of slightly grapey once you get past the high alcohol level. So that really does, I think, make sense and round out the flavors and work really nicely. Now, that being said, there are a lot of flavored brandies out there. So this is another one of those places where you can really customize the sangria that you make and make it appeal more to you or your guests because you want to do flavors that you really like. So I am a big fan of apricot and peach. I love stone fruits. So sometimes I will use apricot brandy in addition to a little bit of regular brandy. Um, And we're not talking about a whole lot here. You know, for those two bottles of red wine, I think I use maybe a third of a cup. What's that, like a shot, two shots? that's half a shot? No, that's like, let's see, a shot is an ounce. It's quite a few shots. Wow. (laughs) How many ounces is that? So it's about four ounces. Wow, so four, like four shots. Three ounces of, yeah, three, four shots of of brandy. It's less than a half pint or or 200 milliliter, but more than a nip. Right. So just, you know, think of it as the brandy is balancing out the juice or the juice is watering down the brandy, I think is another way that you can think about that. So when you use brandy, and a lot of times I'll tell people it adds a little sweetness mm-hmm. also to the sangria. Would you agree with that? I would. Yeah. Because, you know, alcohol at, at those higher levels, your palate might not be able to identify that it is tasting sweetness, but oftentimes alcohol will come across to your palate as sweet. So, um, and it's not just sweetness, it's kind of, you know, a roundness and a richness, which I think is something that is very appealing in a drink like this. I like that you mentioned the flavored brandy versions. Mm-hmm. If you, you're doing blackberry, you want to enhance the blackberry fruit, sure. you get a blackberry brandy. And also the flavored brandies are typically less amount of alcohol in them than the traditional mm-hmm. standard brandy. So if you want to go a little lower on the alcohol, a little bit more on the flavor, add a flavored brandy that, that actually pairs well with the juice or the fruits that you're using. So I think that's a great tip. But I will okay. I will say that if you go for just the cheapest brandy that you can find, you're going to make a good sangria. But if you bump it up a couple of notches and go for you know a brandy that you would actually put in a real deal cocktail where you want to taste the spirit, you are going to make that sangria rise to such good quality levels, you're you're going to be amazed. Um, it really can make a difference, the quality of the spirit that you use in there. There's a lot of other flavored liqueurs out there too. There's peach tree, schnapps. You can use schnapps. You can use vodka. There's so many flavored vodkas now that you could go to town. But then is it sangria? Well, some people <laughs> like like you, then like the alcohol. Then I think we're getting into wine punch. We can yeah. call them wh- well, wine no, punches. A little more kick and a little less yeah. wine, right? So let's talk next, Kim. We we touched base on red sangrias. Let's move to the white sangrias. And I'm surprised you had mentioned you put cranberry juice in your white sangria. So you're actually making a rosé color white sangria with that? When I Actually, for my white wine sangria, if I were to do a cranberry juice, I'd probably do like a white cranberry or a peach or like a cran cran peach or something. I tend to reserve the dark colored juices for my red wine sangrias. So base wine for a white would Mm. be, what do you recommend? Anything light, unoaked, and dry. So not sweet. 
stay away from the Riesling for these folks. Yeah, I see a lot of Pinot Grigio being probably yep. the most popular. Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc, there are a lot of inexpensive whites from southern France that I've used with a lot of success in the past. A lot of those Italian white wines, whether they be Pinot Bianco or like you said, Pinot Grigio tend to work really well. But I would say that Sauvignon Blanc is probably my, my go-to. A, something of that style with nice bright acidity, some nice fruit, you know, citrusy flavors and not a lot of sweetness. And for me, this gets back to our old trick. We say when you're, when you're talking red wine, you say cherry flavor. When you're talking white wine, you're talking apple flavor. And I think Pinot Grigio is very popular because a lot of people might be going that apple route with apple fruits, mm-hmm. apple juice, apple liqueurs. I see that as being very popular. And, and then that also leads into where it can also be a fall beverage where mm-hmm. you can make an apple-based yep, with a little spice or something like that. And so. that's how I think that sangria can be very versatile is because you can change up those flavors and you can make it appropriate for any season. I've done red wine sangrias with like Christmassy spices for the holidays and I'll put some cinnamon and some clove and have it be more orange-based and less of that kind of peachy-based. So there are a lot of things that you can do with it. And yeah, kind of a, a white apple, a white wine apple sangria for fall would be lovely. Now I want to talk, Kim, briefly about you're the bubbly queen. <laughs> There's sparkling verges of sangria out there. You get sangria has a little bit of fizz to it, right? Most of the time, do you feel that's because people are using a base sparkling wine or because they're using, instead of juice, they're using a seltzer or a tonic water or a club soda or something like that? Well, I haven't finished my recipe yet, so this is a really good... There's uh, more trend. to the there secret recipe? More. Oh. So I finish my sangria off with bubbles. You add, I add sh- sparkling, sparkling wine. Sparkling wine too. or sparkling water or soda at the end. So if I don't want to use Prosecco or Cava or something bubbly, sometimes I'll use ginger ale. And sometimes that works nicely because maybe the sangria is just a little too tart and it needed a little bit more sweetness. Throwing a little hit of soda in there does tend to work and it balances so things l- out. You like to make it carbonated with bubbles. Yes, but only at the very end because if you don't, then it will, all the bubbles will go away. So you, you're making it, chilling it, then you add it before you serve it. So I make it, I stick it in the fridge for a few hours. And then when I'm ready to serve it, I'll throw in the fruit and some ice cubes and top it off with the bubbles. Your version in a restaurant would be expensive because you're adding so much labor and product to it. Well, you know, you can make a whole big batch of it ahead of time and then just finish it off with the bubbles at the end. So we covered red, we covered white, we covered sparkling. What about getting into trends, rosé versions of sangria? Mm, I have not made one, but I have a friend who makes a lovely strawberry one that I that I need to try, a strawberry rosé sangria. So rosé playing on strawberry fruit or yep. juice? Both. So using a rosé a rosé wine, but then adding in uh, strawberries and a little bit, I think she puts a little strawberry puree in there too. Here's, here's what I try, Kim. Oh, tell me. I have this thing where every once in a while, and you may have the same, when you have a rosé, a lot of times with Italian rosés, I'll get a watermelon ah. fruit profile. So. I threw watermelon in rosé wine to make a sangria. And it actually, it almost watered it down too much. So I think I needed needed some sort of juice or some sort of Mm -hmm. sparkling to it. But very refreshing. And I think it's not, it doesn't trend with, I'm surprised with all the rosé popularity, more people are not promoting some sort of rosé version of the sangria. Mm -hmm. But I think watermelon is a good fruit. You said strawberry is a good fruit. Raspberry could be a good fruit. Sure, any of those things. And 
you know, with the with the white wine sangria, just like for the red wine sangria, you know, find the flavors that you like. You can use lemonade. You can use peach juice cocktail. You can use anything that you sort of like and then change up the fruit that you put in there. Do you like cantaloupe? You know, you can make a melon sangria and throw a little Midori in there. Or like you said, raspberry. You know, there's there's no stopping what you can do. Just make it unique to you. You mentioned it earlier about how other holidays you can make sangria and it makes it great because this is a wine beverage that can be year round right and it's sold in bottles year mm-hmm. round so it, i mean play with it and see what happens right i mean you gave out your secret recipe i, I hope our listeners appreciate that it's and on your website it's on correct? my website and you know they're lovely for brunch they're very nice for like i said gatherings and parties i poured one at an event the other night that was very successful so i find that they're very versatile and people get very excited about them. Thank you for listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find past episodes of our show on iTunes and SoundCloud and find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Cheers. Cheers.